going on, friends? Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and you have landed on episode number 231. And today we're sitting down with Dan Henderson, who wrote a really great book called Confessions of a Recovering Evangelical, Overcoming Fear and Certainty to Find Faith Through Doubt and Questioning. Now, this is a book about deconstruction. Uh, it's about reconstruction. It's about all of those different things. And so one of the first questions I asked him, you'll hear this in the episode, uh, but I want to tell you up front. I asked him, I said, hey, Dan, there's lots of books out there about deconstruction and, and all the things. What makes your book different? In a sea of all these other books, what makes your book different? And here's the thing about Dan. He is writing from a unique perspective that I don't think I've ever read a book on this topic uh, being written from the perspective he's coming from. And that is that Dan, for many years, was a uh, was a teacher in a private Christian school. And so I went to a private Christian school from the 4th through 12th grades. And so we connected on this, on this deep level. We're private Christian school buddies. <laughs> we both had similar experiences. Him as a teacher, um, he's a student, of course. Uh, but we both, we both have a shared experience of being in that world. And there's something about being in that world that if you're not in it, you didn't grow up in it, you don't understand it. It's very different than any other uh, evangelical sphere that's out there. Uh, I can't really describe it. It's hard to hard to describe it if you haven't been in it, but it's different. And he writes this book from the perspective of being in that world and spending time in that world. Uh, one of the things he talks about, and we, we talk about in the episode, is that when he was a teacher, teaching kids, like you're a teacher in a private Christian school, you are expected to have the answers, right? You're expected to tell, you're telling kids what to believe pretty much. So you better have the right answers, right? So he's teaching these kids, but all the while he's teaching them, he has doubts inside about the things that he's teaching and the things about he's expected to believe and all this different stuff. He's having an internal wrestling match uh, while he's teaching these kids. And so he writes this book from that perspective and it's absolutely wonderful uh, get the book. You're going to enjoy it. Listen to the episode. You're going to enjoy it. Pause the episode right now. Go to Amazon. Buy the book, uh, Confessions of a Recovering Evangelical. And while you're at Amazon, why not buy my book? I mean, you're already there, right? Rethinking everything. Uh, my spiritual journey from black and white thinking to a great wide world of color uh, that I'm in now. Uh, both of those links in the show notes. Also in the show notes, Patreon, buy me a coffee. Two places to go to support the show. Uh, if this has encouraged you, inspired you, it's pushed you forward in your faith, uh, consider consider giving a monthly amount uh, to the show. Any amount on Patreon, $3 a month, uh, all the way up to $100 a month, whatever, gets you the same reward, which is entrance into a community. We have a Discord group, a chat group. We have a book, uh, book club. We have Zoom hangouts every month where people from Patreon can hop on over the course of an hour, say hello to people meet people, introduce themselves, listen to some stories, talk about some stuff. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We've had like, I think we've had three, or maybe two, two of these Zoom chats. Yeah, two Zoom chats. We've had a couple other Zoom chats with the book club, but it's been a lot of fun. And people li literally like around the world, we have people in Canada, uh, various spots in the US, uh, Norway. Uh, we have somebody in Australia that haven't hopped on yet, but we have people all over the place and they, they're meeting each other. And they're making friends. And it's just a cool place to, to find friends and realize that as crazy as this journey can be, you're not on it alone. Like there's people out there 
who care about you. And that's what Patreon is all about. And here's the thing. If you can't afford $3 a month, I get it because I've been there. Uh, don't worry about it. Message me, uh, Facebook, email me, whatifproject.net, uh, at gmail.com, uh, whatever. Reach out to me. I will let you in for free because I want you to have the community. It's not about the money. It's about finding people who really are hungry for community. And if they have the means to support the show, to be able to support it, because this is what I do. I have a couple of uh, social media gigs that I help out with some people with social media. I do some stuff for Choir Publishing. I do some stuff for Alexander John Shia. I help out Seth Price at Can I Say This at Church. I do some stuff for Bart Ehrman. I do some stuff, but this is a huge part of what I do, and I spend so much time in it. And so any amount that you give literally goes to help us pay the bills, put food on the table, uh, do all those different things. So anyway, all the links to all the things are in the show notes. Uh, but that's it. This is episode number 231 with Dan Henderson. Enjoy. The patience paid off, now it's go time. go time. No worries all around me, I'ma get mine. Born in the Queen City, got the 4-9. Go to Green Trip, told me where the cosign. So people doubted me, that's close to me, that's their regret. When I make it, I'ma take it, all I do is rest. Remain grinding, self-care, that's when I'm at my best. A little crazy, that's when I'm at a test. Feeling tuned. Yeah, we riding, yeah, we rolling. All the way to the ocean, uh. Thought I told you got the sauce, yeah. I told you got the sauce. Remember, boy, got the sauce, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we riding, yeah, we rolling all the way to the ocean. Uh, I thought I told you got the sauce, yeah. I told you got the sauce. Remember, boy, got the sauce, yeah. Yeah, all these people hating, that's just motivation. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Today we're sitting down with Dan Henderson, who wrote a wonderful book called Confessions of a Recovering Evangelical. And so Dan, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor to share this space and this time with you. Hey, Glenn, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Thank you. So to start off, uh, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, a general overview of Dan Henderson for people who are new to you and uh, to your work. Great. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I've lived, I live in Iowa and have lived here my whole life, about a 30 year career in teaching. I've been teaching history and, and religion, uh, in the last 15 years, I just retired about two months ago, so I'm not working currently, <laughs> but for 15 years after I taught, I was an education consultant traveling the country, uh, which was really a great experience, uh, kind of getting out of the Midwest, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit that way. But for about half of my career, just under half, I taught in uh, Christian schools, private Christian schools, and of course, as an evangelical. Uh, and that was very much a hotbed of evangelical theology and Christian nationalism. You don't mm. teach in history in Christian school unless you're teaching Christian national. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, so today, out of all that experience and having come out of it, I, I, I'm, a, I'm actually a grad student. I'm back in college again, believe it or not, uh, taking public history uh, program. Hmm. Uh, but I'm also a writer. I, I'm trying to be an activist in the community here, and I'm a public speaker. So staying very active in retirement. I haven't, I've tried not to slow down and it's actually a lot of fun. Sounds like you're speeding up. <laughs> it is actually, it's getting quite busy. <laughs> I was, yeah. uh, I went to a private Christian school uh, through the, from the fourth through the 12th grades. 
And so some of the things yeah. that you mentioned in your book, I was like, ah, yes. <laughs> well, one of the cool things about Facebook is I'm still in touch with a lot of those former students I had. Some are delighted at what I've written. <laughs> Others are a little bit shocked uh, yeah. because it, it seems to be a reversal of maybe what they heard from me years mm -hmm. and years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's true. And I can understand it. And partly I wrote the book for them for my mm. former students. Uh, in fact, in the dedication, it's actually uh, written to my former students who I'm trying to explain to them where my faith has gone, why it's changed, yeah. and uh, try to answer some of those valid questions they might have. Yeah, I think that I think that's great because I think, you know, I wasn't obviously a teacher in the school, but as a student, now that I'm I'm 40 years old now, so I'm way past my high school years, but there's a lot of people I reconnected with on Facebook and social media who I'm finding have the same questions that I have now and have had, but now they're like, oh, there's somebody else who was part of my world who has those yeah. same questions. They have a little bit more of a, I guess, permission to ask them and explore them. Well, the questions are key. And my ad initial advice is ask the questions, ask them over and over and doubt doubt everything that's right question that's right. everything that's right leave no stone unturned <laughs> that's right that's, that's right. right so uh your book like i said before we hit record i really enjoyed it um but for our listeners i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how is this book uh different from every other book out there about deconstruction reconstruction yeah. leaving the world of evangelicalism i feel like it's like the the big hot topic right now so in a sea of books with similar topics uh, what makes yours stand out from the rest? Yeah, you're right. I mean, there are lots and lots of people. That, I, I use the term nuns. So many people are becoming nuns, meaning not affiliated with any religious uh, church or denomination. So deconstruction isn't unusual for people. But I think there are two or three things in my book that might be a little bit different than you might read in some of the others. First, is my Christian school background, which I already mentioned. Uh, I think that gives the readers a sense of what being evangelical was like from the inside, that is, from inside of uh, an institution that taught and promoted evangelical theology in its curriculum and in the general environment. Uh, as I said, it was very much a hothouse type environment. Second, my life as an evangelical actually uh, extends back to the 1960s. So I was I, I was converted, if you want to use that term, at a Billy Graham crusade in Omaha, Nebraska in 1964. So, I mean, <laughs> kind of dates myself a little bit. But uh, that's a unique perspective because most people your age and a lot of my students only came of age in evangelicalism after the 1980s. Yeah. And by that point, evangelical theology and, and, and churches were very different than they were in the 1960s. Mm. Uh, being, a, being an evangelical, I called them, we, we were called Jesus people back <laughs> in those, which I actually like that term a lot better than even Christian. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was very countercultural uh, to do that in those days. It wasn't conservative. There were no such, I mean, the, the politics just almost didn't enter in. If it did, it was maybe more liberal than it was conservative. So uh, that gives me a unique perspective on what has happened to the evangelical 
faith and church over a longer period of time that I think people might be interested in. Mm. And then last, uh, it, you know, deconstruction is kind of a, uh, sounds like a dead end road where you deconstruct it, but at some point you learn how to reconstruct your faith. And as I began to reconstruct my view of faith and what it means, uh, I found it became much more of a, a humanistic faith that applies to the society around us in new ways that I had never thought of before. And so the book really goes a lot beyond just deconstructing faith into what does a new faith look like in terms of social justice and Christian nationalism and politics today, pro-life movement would be a good example. So it's, it's not, I wouldn't call it a how-to book. I'm not trying to teach anybody how to deconstruct or even reconstruct, but I think it highlights my journey and growth out of evangelicalism into a new faith that is much more grounded in human values. Yeah, that's really good. I really appreciated, you know, you've already spoken about how you were a Christian school teacher, and I really appreciated the kind of the angle that you came out with a lot of the topics from that perspective, because I've read a lot of deconstruction books written by people who used to be pastors, people who, you know, went to seminary and Bible college, you know, people who are just part of a church, but I never read anything from the perspective of an ex-Christian school teacher. So I really appreciated that perspective, maybe because I grew up in that world, maybe so I feel like we connected on that level in the book, but I really appreciated that. Well, you, it's interesting on my, I've got several endorsements for my book from former students that might be of interest. So uh, people can can find that on my Facebook page if they're interested. But uh, it's it's really rewarding to hear from from those students. And some of my students, Glenn, are in their fifties now, so they <laughs> they even date you a little bit. You know? That's right. They've been around for a little while, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I really one of the things I, I did appreciate about the book is your your talk about about doubt. And you have this quote, uh, it's on page five, it's very early on, and you say, I'm going to read it for our listeners, "Uh, doubt is a cardinal sin in the evangelical world. You would do better to become an alcoholic or a drug addict, which would result in a good testimony about God's redemption and forgiveness than to admit to real doubt about the inspiration of scripture. I was wondering if you could talk to me more about your personal experience with doubt. Uh, specifically back when you identified as evangelical, because you also say in the book that when you were a teacher, you had these major doubts and these questions that just could not really be be answered. So one of the questions I had while I was reading is, what was it like to be in a position of authority in a Christian school where you were expected to have all of the answers, but deep down inside, you kind of sensed things beginning to unravel a little bit and feeling like maybe I don't have all of the answers that I'm expected to have for these students and as I'm part of this board of teachers and things like that. Maybe take us back to that that place. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, I, I think I start from the place that doubt, uh, when we're talking about theology or religious belief, is a pretty normal thing. Yeah. And I think if most people were honest even if they're evangelical, they're going to admit, yeah, I have I have some doubts. But within the evangelical community and, and environment, that's just not an acceptable disposition to have. Yeah. <laughs> and certainly not one if 
you're teaching kids, school boards might get upset, principals get upset, parents get up, even some students will get upset yeah. if you really express a lot of doubts. Yeah about things. So I had to kind of navigate that. I mean, uh, like a lot of people, I stopped those doubts. I kind of ignored them for many, many years as I was teaching. And part of that might be just, you know, you, you, you have to earn a paycheck. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, and I had a young family. Just toe uh, the line the and do what you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do what you got to do, but, but, but there were two doubts in particular. One as a historian, I, I really had doubts about the Bible. Yeah. the histor historicity of the Bible and equating that somehow with inerrancy and that this is God's inspired word. Everybody has to follow it. It's, it's, it's universal. And of course, Christians developed a whole area around that called apologetics. And so I taught apologetics. I went to the Bible college. I went to seminary. I taught apologetics and, you know, to try to assuage the doubts. Evidence that demands a verdict. Evidence that demands a verdict. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Evidence demands a verdict. That yeah. was popular in those days. <laughs> yeah. The the other area of doubt was in science. I didn't teach science, but I knew what our curriculum was. Our curriculum was dictated by you know, Christian universities like Liberty and Pensacola Christian College. And, and the one thing you could be sure of, they were promoting creationism. Uh, they were promoting, and, and in many ways, even within the history curriculum, they were promoting white nationalism. There was a, a real kind of merging with white nationalism within those curriculum. I was not very comfortable with that. And then it was very anti-evolutionary and it was very anti-science, actually, within yeah. a science textbook. Yeah. That was hard to, to deal with, but but I did. Now, the way I, de I dealt with it is, you know, I told the line but <laughs> for many years, mm -hmm. but as a teacher, I always could get away with presenting alternate points of view. And I did. Mm -hmm. I, I would present, well, there's another way to look at it. And the liberals look at it this way. And, the, you know, if you're over here, they look at it that way. And then bringing it back around to, well, yeah, but the Christian worldview, which is what we're supposed to teach, says this. So here's the final word. But I could always kind of impart some other points of view or doubts, if you will, uh, just by being an, uh, trying to be an objective teacher. And I've had students come back to me and say they really appreciated that. It, it, uh, they never felt like I was trying to be so dogmatic mm -hmm. uh, and so absolutist that they didn't have room to search and look for some of their own views. So I, I felt good about that. I, I, uh, I found ways, I guess, to subvert mm. that system. Yeah, I can remember being in, in school as early as, as like the fifth grade, and we would have, you know, you know, Bible classes every day in elementary school. And I can remember hearing like the story of creation and Noah's Ark and all these stories and being told that these are historically accurate uh, stories and that this is, this is the Bible says it, and this is the way that it happened. And, and that's it. And I can remember as a kid going, but it doesn't make any sense to me how the earth, how the, how the universe can be 6,000 years old. That's what we were told. And yet, and it started with two people, Adam and Eve. And yet there's billions and billions and billions of people that have existed over the course of our recorded time. And how in the world, could, how is that even possible? Like, I remember having these questions and the teacher would be like, well, that's just the way that it is. You know, that's just the, that's it. And it's like, no questions. They like just shut down all the questions that the, that the students have. 
And then moving over to, you know, to like history classes and being taken through um, like even like American history, you know, you're talking about that in your book as well, just about how, like just given this very inaccurate picture of what history is like. And then when you expand outside of those sources that we have in our classroom and you read other things, it's like, oh, like there's, there's a much bigger picture of what's been going on in the world, in the universe than what I've been told in this very narrow way in these classes. Yeah, I think it's very difficult to be an honest historian or an honest teacher of science. I have a good friend, in fact, a former teacher colleague who was a science teacher. He also wrote an endorsement for my book. So I think over time, he, he, he kind of came to those same conclusions. I just can't keep doing this. I can't keep promoting ideas that are so out of line with reality, yeah. uh, with truth, with what science is showing us in the 21st century. It just doesn't make sense. But, you know, a lot of people will come to those conclusions and then just say, throw it all out, forget it all, yeah. um, and move on. And maybe they become atheists. Maybe they become, um, you know, pretty, pretty agnostic. I didn't really reach that point. I found a different way, and um, we can maybe talk about that. But, but I agree with you. I think uh, those questions, and that's what I encourage people to do: is keep asking those questions. Don't don't stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep going. Well, that's good. I mean, what, what is that way? What would you describe is that way? Because there are a lot of people, to your point, who throw the baby out with the bathwater, and it's just you know it's. Everything is everything I was given is wrong. It's all traumatic, and I'm just gonna do away with everything. And then you you leave with none of your roots. You know, you cut your yourself off from all of them, and you go forward into something else. Then there's other people who really wrestle with, well, what do I bring with me? What do I leave in the past? So, what is that way that you found that has been helpful for you? Well, I I think it goes to the heart of what is faith. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a good deal of time in the book. In fact, the whole first section of the book is about faith and what is faith and um, and how is that described. And, and as I reflected on it, as I came to a, a crisis point in my own life around, it was actually around the year 2005. So, I mean, I, I've been going through this process for quite a long time now, over 15 years, Um Probably the most transformational thing that I did was to decouple faith from right beliefs, mm -hmm. having right beliefs according to Christian uh, evangelicalism or theology. And when I begin to say, hey, these beliefs either don't make sense or they're just pure plain wrong, and I began to say, hey, I can still have faith even without those beliefs. That opened up a whole new avenue for me uh, that no longer would define my faith by doctrines. It no longer defined my faith by theology. Mm -hmm. And, you know, within evangelical faith, there's even a script for right belief. It's called the sinner's prayer, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, you got to say the words just right or, right or it doesn't quite work. <laughs> but uh, once I gave that up, it, it, for me, it allowed me to separate and, and think about, there, there were actually two ways you can go at that point. Once you separate faith from right belief, you either mm -hmm. become an atheist mm -hmm. and you exchange certainty and 
absolutism of evangelicalism for the certainty and absolutism of atheism, Mm -hmm. because that's what it's based on. It's based on right belief, that is in science and materialism. Well, that's actually not, that's not unreasonable if you want to go that route. And I know I've known a lot of people that do. But for me, it was there was another way to go, and that is to reconstruct a new configuration of what faith means. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was about doing something very, very different. How do I face the mystery of our existence and of God and, and everything in our lives uh, without having certainty mm. and without having an answer for every question that, that comes? And so you know, questions of life and death and the afterlife and, and all of those heavy issues, I came to a place where it was okay for me not to have the right answer yeah, and not to have to teach that to young people, for instance. Yeah. So that was, that was key for me. And, and uh, I tell people I've gotten to a place where I can say, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what those answers are and it's okay yeah. because I'm good with the ambiguity. I'm good with being uncertain about it. Mm. But but that allowed me to think about, well, what is faith then? And I began to redefine faith as connections. There really isn't a good definition, I think, for faith other than uh, connections. That is, you know, Jesus talked about, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. It's not out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, not a, it's not an ideal. It's not political power. It's within you. And so how do I connect to that kingdom? of God within me, uh, which I kind of defined as the ground of being. Mm. So faith for me is being, it's not believing. Mm. And that is a huge, huge change. When, when you can reach that place where faith is being, it's no longer believing, then you begin to connect. You begin to connect with yourself. You begin to connect with other people. And the beliefs don't get in the way. You know, when I was a Christian, I had to kind of, I had to divide people into categories, you know, mm-hmm. by, even by their denomination, because you couldn't even always associate with everybody with in Christianity, right. because they were the wrong denomination, they had wrong beliefs, yep. right? Yep. Well, that's nonsense. It's just nonsense. And, and it extends into Muslims and Buddhists and other religions, uh, we connect as human beings. Yeah. And to me, that is the essence of faith because it grounds me in my humanity. Yeah. So not, not in some sky ethereal theistic God out there that, you know, you pray to and ask favors of, but you ground your faith within your own humanity in your own being. So for me, that, that was the starting point and the beginning of reconstructing my faith which really led to a whole different view of, like I said, social issues, mm-hmm. um, racial justice. I'm connected to that issue. I'm not, I'm not black, but I'm connected to my black brothers and sisters because we're human beings. Mm-hmm. And when they don't, when they're upset, uh, oppressed, I'm oppressed. When you're oppressed, Glenn, if you're ever, oppre- I'm, I'm oppressed. We're connected. Same with, with gay people. I'm connected to them. If they're oppressed, I'm oppressed. So I'm going to stand up for that. And so I talk about that in the book. Faith 
ground the ground of being of being human and then connecting finding those connections with other people and right beliefs has nothing to do with it yeah. um I, i'm not in the business of correcting anyone's beliefs anymore i i've given that up <laughs> I, I i i used to tell people and and it also goes into behavior i i write in the book about i used to be this behavior i'd write behavior citations you know <laughs> based on a bible verse you know here here you go here's your here's your citation you're not doing yeah. it right yeah and i don't need that anymore it's just not part of faith yeah it's funny you know that you say that because there's a lot of people and i was one of these people who moved from that more conservative evangelical world step into for lack of a better word a more progressive way of thinking but yet bring that conservative evangelical mentality with them of still needing to have the answers because i remember when i first started asking a lot of questions i've talked about this on the podcast before i was like oh my goodness my old answers don't work anymore now i need new answers as now i was like on this mission to find the answers and so i remember like I was reading one of Brian McLaren's books, uh, a new kind of Christian or a new kind of Christianity. And yeah. he was talking in there about, I don't remember what it was, but immediately like John 3.16 came to mind. I'm like, well, what do I do with John 3.16? Or what do I do with Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Like no one comes to the Father but through me. So I remember I went on Twitter. I'm like, maybe he'll answer me. I don't know. So I went on Twitter and I tweeted. I'm like, what about this? What about this? He was so patient and kind with me. He like re literally responded to all of my tweets trying to give me some answers. And finally he said to me, he's like, there's just some things that are just mysterious that we just don't have the answer for it. And I was so uncomfortable with that response back then, maybe six years ago. But now I'm in this place where, like you said, like sometimes when I get into a conversation with somebody on Facebook, I'll tell them right off the bat, just so you know, my answer to you might be that I don't know. And I don't know if you're going to be comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with it. But if you're not comfortable with it, I just want to let you know, but you might not want to waste the energy <laughs> going back and forth because that might be my my final answer. It might just be, I don't know. And that's just where I'm at right now in this time of my life. But I find that releasing that, that need to have right beliefs, releasing that need to police myself and police my own theology to make sure it's, it's on, it's, you know, it's all lined up and all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted has brought me so much freedom in my own life and my own faith. I feel like it's really drawn me closer to God at the end of the day, as opposed yeah. to what I used to think that my right beliefs were what was going to bring me closer to God. Well, I, I would, I would agree with that entirely. In fact, after I, I, I kind of separated right belief from faith, I began to experience God in whole new ways. Yeah. Uh, my faith grew uh, right. <laughs> because I didn't have to have the answer, the right answer. And, and, and having the right answers about these kinds of questions isn't probably the goal. That's right. The goal is how does faith impact who I am and how I behave and how I live and how I impact the people around me. Um, I, I know that sounds a lot like the old uh, works salvation kind <laughs> of thing, but but in reality, if, if you look at the core teachings of Jesus, I, I include a chapter on, on the teachings of Jesus yeah. As being a humanist, I think Jesus was one of the greatest humanists in history yeah. because his teachings were focused almost entirely, I would say 99% on the here and now, how we live, what kind of people we are. And heaven and the, you know, the grand by and by was really not a major focus on of what Jesus taught us. Yeah. It's about being human. Yeah. And, and I think that's the point. I think so.
So uh, one of the things that you you talk about in the book that I, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about, and you maybe you can expand on this a little bit, is you say, and I don't remember where it is, I think it's like maybe midway through the book, but that your goal in writing this book and your goal kind of in this place you are in your life is not to shame or condemn people who still hold on to an evangelical worldview. I think that's really important because especially early on with my podcast, I would get message after message after message in my Facebook direct messages from people I went to seminary with or people I went to church with, uh, even a couple of family members who were really upset with me. And they were all like in my face about how, you know, I'm shaming them every time I talk about or I critique evangelicalism. It's like I'm critiquing them. And I, I tried to say, like, it's not that at all. Like, I'm not critiquing you for what you believe, but I'm, I'm critiquing a system for the, the trauma that is pushed into my life and the lives of so many people as a result of what it pushes people to believe, giving them no space to ask questions. And so I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit more about just this idea of critiquing a person and their belief system versus critiquing a system of belief. I feel like that's two very different things that sometimes gets lost and muddied in the mix when we're talking about all these kind of things. Yeah, part, part of the problem with that is that, particularly within evangelicalism, having right beliefs is so key to that evangelical identity that if you question anything about that, people kind of take offense and think you're attacking them yeah. because they equate that right belief with, with their own identity. But yeah. it, I, I, I've I've come to view evangelical faith and Christianity more as a system, mm -hmm. as you say, and even as an institution, as opposed to individual people. Mm. And when I say a system, um, I mean a system that has a lot of human char characteristics, ideology, yeah. it has institutions, and most of all, it's a system based on power. Mm. And I don't mean spiritual power or anything spiritual. <laughs> I mean, it truly is a system today, especially, and I've seen it progress from for the past 40 years this way, a system that is much like the Catholic Church uh, has always been, uh, without maybe with less formality. Uh, but, you know, you've got leaders that are pulling strings and pushing buttons, uh, mega churches that, you know, are, are interested in making a lot of money and uh, kind of controlling people's lives. I saw that happening in 1980, the and and by 2005, I just I was done with that. I just couldn't do it. Um, but that system has been energized in the last 15 years or so by things like the Tea Party and the Trump movement. Uh, those movements really are uh, Christian evangelical at at the core mm. when you look at what's driving it and the drive is for political power it's not having anything to do with with humanity and faith uh in fact you're, you'll, you'll find within those movements kind of the antithesis of, of a lot of the teachings of christ i don't think jesus would do very well <laughs> in those in in uh, christian evangelical circles today <laughs> if he were here um it's also a zero tolerance system, meaning uh, there's no middle ground. It's either their way all the way because it's God's way, right? Uh, or nothing. Mm. 
So you can justify a lot of, of horrible things like the January 6th attack, for instance. That's a system uh, power grab. Yeah. Uh, and But it's justified through the belief that somehow Donald Trump was God's chosen person to be president. And mm. somehow the evil liberal people were trying to subvert that. Mm. Right. So let's attack the Capitol. Right. Yeah. So it, it it's very much tied into Christian nationalism, which views the country as a Christian nation, which is mm. so far out of the out of the reality of what the founders had in mind. But it's a but it's a system that is trying to make that a reality. Now, I don't think any of this was ever anything Jesus had in mind. So what 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 I would say is the system today, the, the evangelical system, has very little to do with Jesus. Now, individuals within that system mm -hmm. are still my neighbors. Right. They still live near. They live down the street from me. And we, 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 we talk to one another. We would help one another in a moment of crisis easily. So it isn't about bad people. It's, a, it's about a system that has corrupted the way, maybe the way people think and, yeah. and, and consequently sometimes what they do. But it's not the same as attacking an individual. Yeah. Because most people that I know that are still evangelical are just really good people. They're uh, they're well intentioned, and and they'll help you. They they really do want to help. Um, so, but that's hard for people to understand if you critique and and try to deconstruct Christian evangelical uh, movement as a system. Mm. People get a little bit. They're a little bit um, protective of that. I think. Uh, because it's connected with right belief. Yeah. So uh, you, you do have to kind of be careful, but I state in my book right up front, hey, if you're happy in the evangelical church and and you don't have any questions, secretly they do, but if you don't... <laughs> we all know the truth. Then, yeah. <laughs> then this book may not be for you. You may not right. want to read this book. You know, it's okay. Uh, I'm not offended if you don't, but... Uh, if you have questions and doubts and you're looking for something more than what I like to call it is a cardboard theological box that puts God in there and everyone has to be in that box, yeah. right? Well, boxes are flimsy and, and the sites come down pretty fast once you start asking the questions. Yeah. So um, I'm not, you know, I'm not interested in that anymore. I moved on to other things. And, mm. and uh, sometimes people feel like I'm criticizing them. I'm really not. I'm criticizing the box. That's, that's, a, that's a huge point. I was wondering if you could talk to, you mentioned a little bit about, about the Bible in your response. And I think that one of the things, and you can correct me if you think I'm, I'm incorrect on this, but I felt like looking back on my evangelical days, it felt like the way that the Bible was used is something that fuels a lot of the the hatred that we see today coming out of the system. You mentioned about the insurrection and things like that, and how a lot of that stuff was inflamed by this sense of nationalism coming from uh, really the core of evangelicalism. And so like I was thinking about, you have a chapter about VBS in your book and about VBS stories. And I was thinking back on my own time in VBS, my own time teaching VBS at Sunday school and things like that. And really how a lot of these stories, especially in the Old Testament, really almost give, maybe for lack of a better word, like a like a license or permission for violence, like kind of like to keep the violence card 
in our back pocket because like you see all these different things that like at the time, like in the past, I thought they were just harmless Bible stories, you know, like Noah's Ark and, you know, Abraham going to sacrifice, you know, his son and, uh, you know, Joshua marching into the, you know, promised land and, you know, taking it over and committing genocide at the end of the day. And just thinking like, well, these are just, these are just Bible stories, you know, but at the same time, like we teach these stories to our kids, but then at the, at the same time, we also teach that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow that God never changes. And it wasn't really until maybe, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years ago that I kind of put the connection together. Like, wait a minute, if God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then the things that God did yesterday, he can very well do today if he sees fit. So what if God raises up another Joshua? What if God raises up another David to march in and to take over these lands, you know, for God's kingdom and to do all these different things and to commit genocide and we do it all with the license of what the bible says because this is what happened in the past it could very well happen again so i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the bible and how maybe your thoughts about the bible have evolved over time in regards to some of those stories what to do with them um how how to use them and and different things different things like that yeah you know that's really important i i deliberately included a a, a chapter which i i I feel is a very strong chapter on the Bible uh, because it's it's key. It's key within evangelical belief. And and I'll I'll go back to where I started with faith. And you know, once I once I decoupled faith from right belief, I was free to begin to ask questions of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Right. So I remember one time when I was in VBS, vacation Bible school, as a young yep. kid, I, <laughs> maybe eleven or twelve years old. And we heard the story of the Amalekites, you know, and, and God commanded the Israelites to destroy them all, the men, the women, the children, even the, even the, the animals, all of them. And, and, and I got worried about that, mm -hmm. you know, and I asked my, I asked the VBS teacher, well, if God commanded that, then why will he do that again? you know, today. And the, and the only answer that the teacher could have is, oh, well, no, God doesn't work that way anymore. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, well, wait a minute. If if it was okay, you know, it, it just brought up more questions. Yeah. And so you're on the right track in, in asking those kinds of questions. But, but once you begin to ask hard, serious questions about the Bible, and if you're a serious historian and a serious person of science, mm -hmm. You're going to reach some very different conclusions about what the Bible is. And, and the first obvious conclusion I reached is, well, no, it's not inerrant mm -hmm. because there are too many errors in it historically, scientifically. And I go into this in the chapter, what those are specifics. Um, and so, no, if, if God is all-knowing, omniscient, and omnipresent, how why would there be these errors mm -hmm. in the Bible? You know, was God trying to fool us so that we could find out the truth later on? You Jokes know, or, on you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, yeah, I just tried to check you guys. Um, so what do you do with the Bible once you kind of shift your understanding that, yeah, this really is a human book mm -hmm. written by flawed human beings? And to me, that was the key. Mm -hmm. This is a book reflecting how do flawed human beings in history a long time ago deal with their myst the mystery of God, the mystery of, 
of this universe and how it works. Yep. And some of their answers they came up with were just kind of weird, right? <laughs> yes. You know, given their limited knowledge. Yeah. But we've moved on. We've moved on into a, a, a much uh, a greater ability to understand the world around us. So I think, so. so for me, what that meant is I can still accept the Bible for what it is yeah. and not try to make it something that it isn't. Yeah. It isn't an inspired, inerrant, authoritative word of God for all people at all times. Mm -hmm. But it is a, a book of flawed human beings wrestling with their own humanity. And how do they make sense of the spiritual life? And that's what we're trying to do, isn't it? I mean, we're still trying to do that. So I still find a great deal of inspiration and application from the Bible. There's a lot of wisdom and a lot of beautiful prose uh, that express the emotion of connectedness uh, with God and with other people in the Bible. But I have to reject those things like the genocide, the patriarchal stories. You know, when I when I went to VBS, I came out being patriarchal, misogynistic, xenophobic, and just about every other word you can think of, because that's what those stories teach. Yep. Now, if I were going to set up a new VBS program, I would use the same story. But you know what I would do? <laughs> I would teach kids that. These stories show us why in history a lot of people behave this way. Yeah. It wasn't because of God commanding them to do it. It's what they wanted God to command them to do. And so they read into these situations what they perceived to be what God wanted them to do. So it would justify their killing of other people or misogyny or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it can still provide those kinds of lessons, but in a completely reversed way. Yeah, um, from what you might be used to. Yeah, and I mean, you have, we have to remember too that those stories, those were cultural stories. Like that was the cultural norm. Then was the gods told me to do it. The gods are on my side for mm -hmm. battle, and if I win a battle, that means the gods are on my side. If I lose a battle, I did something to tick the gods off, and I got to figure out what it is. So, like we see those things woven into the biblical stories. And somebody I had on the podcast a while ago, her name is Carolyn Custis James. I don't know if you ever heard of her. But she wrote a book called uh, Maelstrom, where she talks about uh, patriarchy and how Jesus dismantles patriarchy. But she talks about how we, we make a mistake when we read the stories of the, especially the Old Testament and even some of the New Testament. And we assume that the Bible is teaching patriarchy. The Bible's teaching all these different kind of phobias that you said. And the Bible is teaching these things. When in reality, that's just the cultural backdrop against which the stories of the Bible took place. So patriarchy yeah. is the the backdrop of the time and the stories that we're watching unfold took place against that backdrop. It's not that the Bible is teaching it. It's that this was the culture of the time. And when we separate those two things, I think we can read those stories in entirely different ways, like you said, uh, if oh, we exactly. can revisit them in, 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 in VBS today. Yeah, it's not about throwing the Bible out and forgetting about it. Right. I, I think it's too important of a historical uh text yeah. to do that. Uh, in fact, anybody that's it's going to uh, be literate in at least Western civilization is going to have to understand biblical stories. Yeah. But understanding what the origin is of those stories, why they're there, and how we can learn from them now 
without the interference, I call it the interference of trying to justify them. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, it, it's pretty hard to justify genocide. You know, <laughs> something God would command. Yeah. yeah, you, yeah. It's impossible. It's actually impossible, yeah. at least in our day and age. Um, but so using the Bible in a very, very different way, not as a cudgel, you know, a lot of in the evangelical faith, the Bible is really kind of a cudgel. Mm. It beat you over the head with it. And and it ends, it's supposed to end all arguments. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you you know, whatever, whatever progressive idea you have, well, you know, the Bible says the Bible you know, says that, that's the end of it. You you yeah. you can't argue with it. Well, I that's I don't think that's the point of it at all. Yeah. So uh, I really like your 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 approach to that. I, I think we can use the Bible in a much more humane and unifying way. Yeah. Uh, and it's not the only book out there, is right. it? I mean, there's the Quran, there's there's uh, the Hindu scripture. There's lots of different ancient texts that are talking about some of the same themes yeah. and how people deal with it. Yeah, it's one of the things I've really opened up to in this phase of my life is exploring other ancient scriptures, whether it's the Gnostic texts, um, you know, the Nagamadi yeah. scriptures, whether it's looking into Tao or... Uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead uh, from the Buddhist uh, scriptures. And there's just so many things that when you look at, when you read those things, you see a lot, I see a lot of parallels going over into what I was brought up to believe in regards to the Bible and different stories in the Bible. And like, there's, 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 there's many universal truths, I think, that are out there and they're all woven into these scriptures. And I think that being so narrow-minded growing up, like I can only read the Bible, this is the way that God speaks, it's all right there. You don't need anything else. I feel like that's just such a, I feel like I've, I've missed out on so much as, as a, in my, especially in my teenage years when I was really interested in this stuff that I, I'm really getting into now. And I'm just, I have such a deeper appreciation for the divine or for God or whatever it is you want to call it, because I just see that energy in all of these different places. And it's just absolutely fascinating to me. And like we said earlier, when yeah. we opened up, I feel like it's brought me closer to God, not driven me away. Well, I remember uh, when I was in high school, mm-hmm. you know, I was a young evangelical, uh, as I said, uh, but I, I had a real passion for uh, other other ancient texts. So mm-hmm. I was going to the school library. We, we had a public as a public school, but, you know, they had they had other ancient texts in there and I would check them out. That's why I spent my time reading. I was fascinated by all the different ancient texts that claimed that were spiritual. Uh, And, but that, that sort of stuck with me. So even when I had to become much more dogmatic as a Christian school teacher, I still sort of had this grounding, if you will, in a much broader view of what, what ancient wisdom really, really entails. Mm. Uh, But as I said, by the time you hit the 1980s, there was, (laughs) there was no real, uh, you couldn't you couldn't really equivocate on the inspiration of the scripture yeah. and uh, be in any kind of Christian ministry at all. Mm. So, you know, it it uh, but but I had a tether. I think I, I call it a tether, you know, to to some of those other writings from my earlier days. Sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. All right. So last question for you. Um Real quick, speak to the person who's rethinking their faith right now, and they're stepping out of that evangelical world. Maybe they have one foot in, one foot out, or maybe they're 
they're feeling the heat uh, from their former tribe or they're getting a lot of questions, a lot of pushback. Um, they're rethinking all the things. You know, we talked about the Bible. We talked about the stories of the Bible. They're rethinking what they've been taught, what they've been told. Uh, what would your word of advice be to that person as they move forward into rethinking what faith is? Well, it's funny you use the word tribe. Um, toward the end, as I was writing the book, I, I included a one of the last chapters I wrote, in fact, was was on tribalism mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and how evangelicalism is so tribal. It's mm-hmm. so tribal that there are thousands of different denominations within it. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, but they're all I, right I, though. Each one has their, each one is oh, right. Oh yeah. They're all right. They're, <laughs> right. All, they're all based on correct beliefs, you know, <laughs> but, and, and I, but I don't fault evangelical, the evangelical uh, system for being tribal because I think being tribal is a fairly human need. Sure. Um, and so someone who's beginning, but the thing you have to realize is that once you begin to question or doubt the evangelical theology or faith, that tribe is going to probably reject you. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you're, you're going to, they're, they're going to, in some cases, question you. And ultimately, they, they have a word for it. It's called disfellowship. Mm. Right, they're going to disfellowship you, if, particularly if you question the uh, the authority of the inerrancy of the scripture in, in some way. That, that's <laughs> that's usually, that's usually a deal breaker. <laughs> um, so that causes a lot of pain because there are relationships involved. See, that's where it goes back to connections. You know, you're still connected to people within the evangelical church. They're your friends. They're people who've been there for you. So. Uh, it's going to cause pain. It's going to, you know, it depends on how, how much you, how committed you are to the questions and to doubting. Mm. Uh, If you keep going down that road, you're probably headed to, to finding a new tribe. Mm. Right. And hopefully hanging on to whatever relationships you can within the evangelical. I I still have, I mean, there, you probably do too, uh, Glenn, friends from your former evangelical church relationships. I mean, there, some people aren't going to care. They still care about you. Right. But, but some won't. So the good news is there is a whole new community out there for, for you to, to, to connect to. Um, and and my book is is basically a book of encouragement. It's a, it's an encouragement to those who are asking the questions and seeking this journey and going down this road that you're not alone. So yeah. first thing to know is you, there are lots and lots of people that are <laughs> on the same journey you are, and and it's how it's kind of created a whole new whole new uh, uh, tribe out there. And and one of the people I'll mention you and I were talking about before we started is Jim Palmer. Mm-hmm. He he runs. Uh, the Center for Non-Religious Spirituality. He was a mega mega church pastor, and you know, went through the whole doubt and reconstruction pro- or deconstruction process. But now he he really ministers to hurt people, people who have been hurt in that uh, system, uh, in their former evangelical tribe, yeah. and that would be a place to start. But there are lots of them out there. There are places online. There are other churches, uh, physical churches too, mm-hmm. that very much are in the realm of progressive Christianity, if you will, for, for lack of a better term, yeah. uh, that will accept you wherever you are in your spiritual journey. Yeah. And so I, I would just encourage people to to uh, not feel alone. And, and, and if you need help, 
please get help. I mean, there are people willing to help you through it. And books like the one I've written, but many others can also be a source of, of real, you know, comfort. I hope. That's right. So So good. So good, Dan. Well, thank you. This has been a lot of fun, but we are, uh, we have overshot our 40, 45 minutes, but I figured we, I could listen to you all day. Yeah. Ah, Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's been fun. And I really appreciate uh, the opportunity, Glenn. And uh, I know you read the book. I know you, you liked it. So appreciate, appreciate that. Definitely. And real quick, uh, where can people go? What's the best place to find you online to connect with you and, and your work? Well, uh, the book is now, in fact, it's come well, as of October 25th, whatever day this will come out, probably be in, it, it's already out now, the yep. book. So uh, it's on Amazon. So I would go there. And if you click into my name, you'll find my author site in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also uh, just simply on Facebook, Dan Henderson, and you might want to put in Iowa because a lot of Dan Henderson's out there. <laughs> There's a couple out there, right? But, yeah. <laughs> But I'd love to connect with people on on Facebook. And I can tell you, in this journey I'm on, I have connected with so many people mm. on Facebook and online that, that are encouraging and helpful that I want to do the same for, for others. So, yeah, just reach out and uh, we'll, we'll be there. Great. Well, I'll put the links to all your stuff in the show notes. So maybe we can do this again sometime. All right, Glenn. I hope we can. Thanks, Dan. All right. Thank you. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed up fancy. Uh, wish I on a pot on some gold with the rainbow. By the time Clancy. Uh, wishing I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go and hit a run, I'ma check. Wish I had no other sand, most beat on my chest. Wishing for my people. Uh, wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own picture, we bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So much for high on demand. Tiptoe around throwing high lows. Feel like James Brown, love we going here to dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lock. Champion, going ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG, train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. Wish I had red bottles on my feet, everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride, it is beat neat. Ever want to follow my speed? Let's close those more keys. Hey. Carolina Rose on freeze. Hey. Wishing I could fly to the keys. Hey. That will be more free. Hey. Something in my mind hit the dough. Put on my fresh fit. Uh. Toast Sir Charles, let's go. We about to go and get it. Uh. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got a hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champions. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love.